Welcome to episode number 40 on the My Story Podcast. My name is Conrad Weaver. I'm your host for the show. I'm so glad you decided to stop by today and take a listen to this show. I really appreciate it. And for those of you who are listening on Apple Podcasts, if you would be so kind as to leave a review, I would greatly appreciate it. It really helps raise the visibility for this show. If you enjoy it and you want others to listen to it as well, leave a review that helps us tremendously. Thanks so much. Also, you can now see the My Story podcast. Yes, you can watch the video interviews of the My Story podcast if you become a patron. Click on the link below in the comments or in the show notes and go over to my Patreon page and become a subscriber on Patreon. It You can subscribe for as little as $5 a month to see the video content and you'll get a bunch of extra content as well as I go along. So go ahead, check it out, become a Patreon, support the show. If you enjoy what you hear, you can now see what you hear as well. and and get some of the other additional behind the scenes footage that uh, you don't get on this audio podcast. Today on the show, I have a friend, a new friend, Ryan Van Duzer. Ryan is an adventurer. He is a marathon, ultra marathon runner. He runs these crazy 100 mile marathons. I couldn't imagine doing that, but we're gonna learn more about that. He also rides his bike everywhere. He has a growing YouTube channel and is a force to be reckoned with on YouTube. So be sure to stick around and listen to this fascinating interview with Ryan Van Duzer today on the My Story Podcast. The My Story Podcast is brought to you by Conjo Studios. We are a production company. We like to tell stories that matter. To learn more about Conjo Studios, visit conjostudios.com and learn about the documentary films that we produce and the work that we do in telling stories that matter. And now here's my interview with Ryan Van Duzer. Ryan Van Duzer, welcome to the My Story Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm psyched to be here. Yeah, it's so great having you, man. Like I told you off you know, before we came online, uh, you know, we... I kind of found your channel on YouTube here's you know a month or so ago and uh, thought, man, I got to reach out to this guy and see if we can have him on the My Story podcast. So, so, so tell me, who are you and what do you do? Well, first of all, thanks for watching my videos. It means a lot. You know, it's come a long way to the you know back in the day where only my mom watched. My <laughs> so it's nice that random people are finding my videos. Anyway, so I how did I get started in this? I got a degree in broadcast journalism and I was taught how to be essentially like a local news anchor mm. and I did an internship in Denver at the TV station and I decided that's not for me. I wasn't really into local news. Local mm. news is kind of depressing. <laughs> I wanted to make happy, inspirational stories that inspired people. And um, through many, many years of working in the TV world, not, not news, but more travel channel type stuff. Mm. I decided to make a YouTube channel and create the stories that I really want to tell and that I feel bring value to the world. Hmm. And so what is that that you are, I mean, what, what's your underlying philosophy for, for producing these things? My goal 
And it's always been the same. I started on public access TV back in 2006. That's mm -hmm. really where I started doing the, making the content that I want. You don't really get paid for that, right? That's just No, like you definitely don't get paid for public <laughs> access TV. I lived in my mom's basement for a few years while I was producing that show. She was nice enough to let, let me live rent free. <laughs> but the goal has always been to inspire viewers. Hmm. You know, the goal, it's, it's simple. I want people to watch my content and say, hey, that looks like a lot of fun. I want to go do that. I want to give it a shot. I want to challenge myself. And so that is the, the simple goal is to get people off their couches. So when someone goes to your YouTube channel, what are they going to find? What, what do you do? What are some of those things that you do? Good question. I do lots of different things. And if you subscribe to my channel, you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> a lot of my content is, is cycling based. I go on lots of bike adventures around the world and I document those trips. I do a lot of uh, running videos where I do ultra marathons or I interview, you know, elite athletes. I make videos about travels. I make videos essentially about my life. You know, I really, I share my heart and soul with, uh, with my audience and you get a little bit of everything, but it's definitely, it's always aimed at uh, putting a smile on the viewer's face and hopefully inspiring them in some way. Well, I know that you've inspired me and you know, so, so this podcast is going to come out in January. And so I'm kind of preempting an announcement, but uh, me and some buddies are going to do a cross country ride. And nice. I, it's been on my bucket list, I guess, for 20 years. But I've, you know, over the years, I was like, man, that's just, that's a lot of work. It's a, but then I started watching your video. And I was like, dude, I got to do this. Yeah. yeah. And so I called up a couple of buddies and they were like, you know, my one friend has said, man, I'm all in. I'm, I'm there. I'm going to do it. I got to lose some weight, but yeah, I'm going to do it. And my other friend is like, I'm 70% there. So we got to do some con you know, con more convincing with him. But uh, I think. Well, you know, give me his phone number. I'll convince him. Uh, I will. I will. <laughs> David, listen to me. You're going to get a phone call from Ryan Van Duzer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's, uh, I love hearing that. And I get emails like that all the time from people who have some fears or they think it's too overwhelming of a adventure to undertake and they come up with lots of excuses why they can't do something. And then my goal is to tell them, no, you can do this and I'm going to tell you how, and it's not that scary. And once you hit the road, you're going to have the time of your life. Yeah. So, so tell me about the first long bike trip that you, you had. What was yeah. that? What, you know, what was that? And what inspired you to do that? It was my biggest one ever. And I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Honduras. I lived there for two years working with kids in a small village. And it was a beautiful experience. And I didn't want to just leave after my two years and be home in a matter of five hours on an airplane. Mm -hmm. I thought that would have been just too much of a reverse culture shock. I wanted to really take time to process what I had done for those two years and also have time to dream about the future. So I, I traded in my plane ticket that Peace Corps would have bought me, you know, to go home. I got all my bike equipment and I rode from Honduras back to Boulder, Colorado. And it took three months. And it was about 5,000 miles. Now, most people will say that's just plain crazy. <laughs> yes, most people did say that, especially my mom and other family members. But for me, I, I knew it was going to be an amazing adventure. I wasn't scared. I wasn't full of fear. I had lived in Honduras for two years, so I knew that country really well. I spoke Spanish and I was excited just to explore. You know, I mean, just from the old fashioned adventure. 
I mean, besides the, the trek of, you know, pedaling 5,000 miles or whatever, you know, you have the, the, the I mean, it's, it's not the safest place in the world to come through. Yeah. I mean, cause you, you had know, to go through Guatemala, right? And through, yep. then through up, up through Mexico. All through Mexico. You know, the news doesn't do Latin America any favors. Right. Yeah. You know, the media really makes most travelers afraid of these countries. Mm -hmm. And it, they're not like that much, they're not that much more dangerous than a city like Chicago or something. Sure. You know, sure, bad things can happen anywhere, but uh, I was treated really, really kindly by everybody I met along the way. People took me into their homes, they fed me meals truckers would sometimes stop they would see me when they would drive past mm -hmm. me and they would stop at the next truck 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 stop up and they would say hey man here let me tell you some roads that are safer here's some water they all you know truckers really take care of people who are on the road mm -hmm. and i had a, a a beautiful experience the entire way home so was that trip kind of the catalyst for you to start this crazy journey of you know recording your adventures and biking everywhere yeah, that really, that was the trip. And I filmed that trip with a small Sony Handycam <laughs> back in the day before there were digital cameras. And I edited together a short five minute video. And this is right when YouTube came out in 2006 and I put it on YouTube. And um, parts of that video played on the Travel Channel. They had a compilation travel show back in the day where you could submit vacation travel, even though I wouldn't really call what I was doing vacation. Mm -hmm. But, and they played some of it and I was like, oh, I want to tell stories. This is what I want. I want to mm -hmm. work with the travel channel and, uh, you know, show the world to viewers in the United States. And from that moment on, yeah, that's where I really wanted to be a travel journalist. I wanted to, you know, see the world uh, on the seat of my bike and mm -hmm. I call it life at 15 miles an hour. Hmm. So what did you do next when you came back and you said, hey, I want to do this, do this thing with YouTube. What, what was your next step? That's when I um, started working, working, volunteering for a public access TV show mm. in Boulder. And I created the show called Out There, where I would run around with my camera and film local adventures and just show people in Boulder, you know, what they can do outside. That's, that's really fun and accessible and easy. And the main thing is, to, is was to show people adventures that are accessible. Mm. You know, you don't have to be an elite athlete to do these things. Anybody can go do the things that I do. And that's really the goal. Because if you watch, you know, some of the Discovery Channel shows with Survivor Man or Bear mm. Grylls, it's fun to watch that stuff. But most humans aren't going to get up and go do that because they right. can't. They don't right. have the technical skills. You know, and my, my, my goal is really just to show people how fun it is to be outside. Yeah. You don't have to, you know, climb Mount Everest or scale El Cap, you know, to yeah. be an adventure seeker, totally. right? Yep. You know, when, when my wife and I, we, we go hiking periodically, we walk a lot in town here, but we often go hiking as well. And every time we do, we're like, man, we should do this more often. Mm -hmm. This is so amazing. I mean, it, it kind of clears your mind. It gets, you know, it gets you in a different place. Do you yeah. find that when you go out on those kind of, kind of trips that you're, you're, I mean, the stress kind of goes away? Absolutely. I do my best thinking, dreaming, pondering when I'm on my bike, whether it's a local bike ride for a day or, or if it's a three month cross country trip. And I really value that time because I, I put away all the emails and work and I try to just focus on being out there in the present moment, pedaling my bike, 
enjoying nature and connecting with the locals. And that's really some of my, my favorite parts of, of doing these kind of things. And it's, it's all, I always come back energized and uh, ready to tackle the world. Mm-hmm. What's, what's someone that you've met along the way on your journeys that really sticks out? There's so many. I mean, there really are so many. But one, I'll talk about one. I was in West Virginia, and I was at the time riding a three-speed cruiser bike across the country. Wait, you rode a three-speed all the way across the country? Yeah, I sure did. (laughs) Wow. And I was pulling a trailer with all of my gear. (laughs) And the whole point of that ride was to show people that you don't need the most expensive gear to do these kind of things. That cruiser was like a $300 bike. Hmm. Um, but anyway, so I met this guy in West Virginia. I was climbing up a pretty steep mountain, and the mountains are, are pretty steep there. And this guy in a red truck drove next to me, and he shouted out his window, and he goes, hey, man, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to Washington, D.C. And he goes, no way, man. Well, where are you going to stay tonight? And I said, I don't know. And he's like, well, follow me. And long story short, he led me to his house out in the woods, and uh, I met this man named Danny, and Danny was a coal miner for all of his life. At this point, he was about 55 years old, very, very kind soul, brought me into his home, made me macaroni and cheese, and we had this wonderful uh, experience, and you know, the deer from the valley came down into his backyard, and it was one of those just travel moments that I'll never forget. And the next day when I was leaving, um, he gave me a necklace that he was wearing. He, he makes hmm. a lot of necklaces and I still wear it to this day. Hmm. And uh, it's, he said, this stands for courage, wisdom, and strength and wear this all the time and remember those three things and you'll be able to get through anything. Wow. Well, yeah. what that's, you know, I think part of what I do is, you know, I tell stories that matter and I meet interesting people. I've been all over the country and I've met some of the most fascinating people, including some people that you've met yeah. at the Ladder Ranch. Yeah, so, funny. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, they're, they're Pat and Sharon or some of my good friends. And, uh, but that's really the, the jewel in the travel thing is, is you, yep. the people you meet yep. and the experiences that you have. In fact, our kids, so a number of years ago, our kids are grown and, and they're gone now, but they always remember this one Christmas. We didn't spend a lot of money on stuff, but we took them to Lake Placid, New York. It was 10 below zero, two feet of snow, crazy cold. We went skiing on Whiteface Mountain, which it's, it's named correctly because you have a white face when you come off. That's, that's what they remember. They remembered that trip and those experiences. And that's what we try to do every year now. We try to say, okay, what can we do with, for our kids? Not to give them some stuff that they're going to put in a box and throw away in a couple of years. But what experiences can we give them? What kind of a thing can we, what, you know, where can we take them? And I think that's what's so valuable about these kind of things. And, and so in, in your, all your travels and all your places that you've been, what's been the favorite memory? Mm. I mean, the Danny memory is up there. You know, that was a very special moment. I still stay in touch with him. And I I stay in touch with a lot of the people that I meet. And that's, it's exciting to uh, develop a relationship and call them on Christmas or their Mm -hmm. birthdays. And uh, it's, you know, I'm making a lot of new friends when I do this thing. And the world seems a lot smaller when you do adventures like this, you know. Uh, My favorite memory, wow. Um, I'll just pick one. In Baja, Mexico, 
I was riding my bike on the Baja Divide and I was with my buddy John and his dog Mira. Mm -hmm. This was this past January. And we were riding in this, you know, area which was pretty difficult riding. And, you know, we went by this old hut off the dirt road we were riding. And this old man come out, came out and he's like, hey, come over here, come over here. Obviously, he's speaking Spanish. And so we go to his house and he's like, do you guys want some coffee? Would you like some breakfast? And we're like, yeah, we'd love to have breakfast with you. And they lived in a very, very simple home, dirt floors, no electricity. And uh, they made us, you know, egg, they had goats and chickens. So they had, they made all, you know, created all their own food. And we sat there with them and, and had breakfast. And it was a really, it was a really beautiful moment. Again, like I said earlier, the media really makes Mexico mm. out to be a war zone. Mm -hmm. And it's really not. Are there bad people in Mexico? Sure, there's bad people in Mexico, but they're tiny pockets. Most of the people are very good. Mm -hmm. And I, I really loved that morning with, with the goat farmers, mm -hmm. you know, and we gave them some money be, because they, they gave us some food and went on our way. And I don't know if I'll ever see them again in my life. I mean, finding them again would, would be only possible by bike. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, you know, it was just one of those memories that will always stick with me. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I love Mexico. I love the Mexican people. And that was just another example of how caring and generous they are. Hmm. That's the, that's the, again, the thing that when I've traveled to the generosity of people, you know, I produced a documentary a few years ago called the great American wheat harvest. And I followed these harvesters across the, the plains of America. I've become good friends with all of them. I've been to all their homes. They've actually all been to my home. You know, we share things, we, we, we stay in touch and just the, the, the relationships that you build, you know, it, it's, it's so much bigger than, you know, the last Facebook feed or the last thing you read on Twitter, you know, it's just, you build these relationships that are meaningful yeah. and, uh, yeah. And you've built a relationship with a number of people that you've biked with. I know John, uh, in, in watching your videos, you really kind of developed a relationship with him and that was that just a, uh, an accidental meeting that you guys had? Yep. So I was in Baja in January and he had been riding from Canada all the way through the United States and down into Baja. And I was camping at a campsite and he rode his bike up to the campsite and he's like, Hey Ryan, how's it going? And I was like, <laughs> uh, do I know you? Turns out he, he watched my videos as well. So he knew who I was. Mm -hmm. And uh, so yeah, it was a total chance encounter. And he's like, Hey, do you mind if we ride with you tomorrow? And I said, yeah, let's do it. And that's how I met John and Mira the Wonder Dog. Yeah, that's a great dog. I mean, I mean, she. I, I love those scenes where she chases the chases the, the stick every morning. <laughs> she she puts such a smile on my face, and literally every single morning, she'd be batting at my tent with her paws to get me up to go out play, and she is just pure joy. Yeah. So, how do you decide what you're going to do next? What's your decision making there? You know, I have a list of things I want to do, big adventures around the world. So I usually think of something I want to do, make sure it's the right time of year, you know, weather wise, and then try to, you know, get some funding if I can from different sponsors. You know, I work a lot with Priority Bikes. I used to work with Trek and different uh, clothing companies. Try to pitch them an idea, say, hey, I'm going to do this for my YouTube channel. It would be really beneficial for you because my viewers love bike stuff. So give me some money. Let's go do this. And that's essentially how it happened. But I have a, a long 
list of things that I want to do and places I want to visit. Yeah. And so what's been the hardest trip you've done? The hardest Baja really is the hardest physical trip for sure. Okay. Baja divide is very difficult. And what uh, makes it hard? What, what's the, it's the terrain is very difficult. Lots of up and down sand washboard. I mean, there's days where you have to just push your bike through sand because you can't ride. And that just, it gets hard quick and it's super hot, but I love Baja. It's hmm. beautiful. You know, the riding is tough, but it gets you to the most remote, beautiful places you could ever imagine on the sides of cliffs with waves crashing or you're way out in the desert and there's a million stars above you and crazy cactus everywhere. So Baja definitely is the, has been the hardest physical ride for sure. Mm -hmm. And what do you do to prepare? I mean, you're, you ride your bike all the time. So you're kind of in, sh you're in shape for sure. But what do you do to prepare for something like that? I don't specifically prepare for any adventure. It's not like, okay, I'm doing the great divide. I'm going to train 50 miles a day for the next two weeks. I don't really do that. I I'm always kind of in shape. I ride a lot. I run a lot. My body's always pretty much ready for anything. I could go do anything tomorrow if I wanted to. I always tell people it's the first two weeks of the adventure that trains you, hmm. you know? So when you get ready to go do your cross country ride next year, whenever it happens, you know, it's those first two weeks that really, you know, get you, get you ready, get your butt ready, you know, sitting in the seat for eight hours a day and your legs and your lungs and everything else. Have you ever been on a trip where you're in the middle of it and it's difficult and you just like, man, I just want to quit. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I keep going back to Baja, but Baja's the only time I've actually quit mid ride. So I did half of the Baja divide trip in 2017 and it was just too much. I wasn't having fun anymore. It was just grueling and painful. I had run a 100 mile race the week before I went to Baja. So my wow. body was already tired and I just didn't have it in me. And so I, one day I was like, you know what, this, this isn't serving me anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to ride to the highway and hitchhike and get on a bus and go back to San Diego to fly home. And that's what I did. Hmm. So how does that's, I mean, and some people would call that failure. Um, how does it, how do you recover from that? How do you deal with failure? Yeah. You know, failure is an interesting word because uh, there's always things to learn in the process of whatever you're doing. So yeah. Did I finish the Baja divide that year? No. So did I get my goal? No. Is that a failure? Maybe, you know, but I, I went back two years later and did finish it. So it's just uh, it's an opportunity to get past something very difficult in your life. And for me, failure, and everybody says this, is, you know, it's usually the biggest learning experience, whether it's with relationships with humans or physical adventures or, you know, you're working on a big project and you don't accomplish your goal. But there's so many other things you learn along the way. If you don't win the Super Bowl, are you a failure? Ah, I mean, maybe you're not number one, but you had a pretty good season. For sure. So you're a creative guy and your videos are very entertaining. Uh, so how do you keep that creativity going? What, how do you keep it fresh so that yeah. when you're producing content, people are coming back and you know, seeing what, what uh, Crazy Doozer is doing again? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. And it's hard. I go through this sometimes. Like, what am I going to say that's different than the other bike trip or the other, you know, the day on the great divide? Cause it's like, Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so amazing. Look at these sunsets. Look at this rainbow. I mean, that happens on every trip. So 
Is my audience going to get bored of me experiencing the same things? And it's not really the same. You know, I, I get inspired by being out there and every trip is a little bit different, but I definitely, I try as a cameraman to capture those moments that I think the viewer would find interesting, even though I'm 80 miles into a day and it's hard. And the last thing I want to do is pull out my cameras or my drone and it's a total pain in the butt. But uh, it's those moments I think that need to be recorded when you're having a hard time or, you know, the audience wants to see that it's a real adventure. They don't want to just see all that, the happy stuff. I mean, that's, that's great too, but there are some times in adventures where it gets hard and you really have to dig deep and that's when you overcome hardship and every human can relate to that type of stuff. No matter what you do in life, we've all been through hard times. Not everybody can relate to a bike trip because most humans haven't been on 3000 mile bike trips, mm -hmm. you know, but mm -hmm. they can relate to overcoming difficult situations. And so I try to portray some of that in my videos. Has there ever been a time when you've gone through a day and thought, man, shoot, I should have got my camera out for that. Segment. Oh, for sure. When I like right now I'm, I'm editing a big series from the great divide and I look at my footage and I'm like, Oh gosh, I wish I had gotten these shots, but I didn't cause I was just sick of filming that day. You know, and th that happens a lot, you know, and I just try my best and that's all you can do is you try your best every single day. And um, yeah, it's not like you have a crew that's going with you. That's capturing the whole thing. It's just you, right? It's yeah. You and a couple yeah, cameras. It'd be, much, it'd be much easier if I had a camera crew during some of the moments. You're much more off. expensive too. Much more expensive. <laughs> that's true. You know, and that's one of the beauties of what I get to do is I get to, I have full control over every aspect of the production you know, which is a good and a bad thing. Right. Yeah. yeah sometimes it's, uh, I know, I, I know what you're talking about because in producing the films that I produce, I'm the director, producer and candlestick maker and <laughs> you know, yeah. all of the above. Now, something interesting that you've talked about, uh, in, in your videos is that you are carless. You are a guy that decided to, you're just going to ride your bike. So tell me about that and what made that decision? <laughs> yeah. I've never had a car in my life. And I was very, very young. And I remember watching an, an Earth Day special on PBS. And they were talking about, you know, pollution and what we can do to save the world. And at that moment, when I was a little kid, I was like, I'm going to do whatever I can to help the environment. And in my mind at the time, I was like, I'm not going to drive a car. Because at the time, I equated cars with pollution and pollution is bad. And to a degree, some of that is true, but mm -hmm. I, I'm not a car hater. Obviously people need cars. Um, but, uh, that's when it all started. And so I've never had a car. I did get my driver's license at age 32, but <laughs> only because I needed to do some car commercials where they needed me driving. <laughs> and so I got my license really quickly. I'm a horrible driver. I never drive. The only time I drive was for productions. And, uh, you know, there's a camera guy. controlled environment, right? Controlled environment. There's a camera guy in the car filming and I'm talking to the camera, whatever I'm saying, this is a beautiful day to drive this new Land Rover, whatever it is. <laughs> and, uh, those are the only times I ever drive and it's been a long time. Um, but yeah, that's essentially the reason why I didn't want to drive when I was young and stuck with it. And now it's just, I love riding my bike everywhere mm. I go. And they're People, in Boulder. I mean, Colorado's known for, you know, all the bike trails and all the stuff like that that's around. Yep. Boulder's a very bike-friendly city. 
I, you know, I can go to the grocery store and put all my food in my panniers and I, you know, a lot of my friends ride bikes. So we just ride bikes together. You know, people ask how I go on dates with women. I'm like, well, I, we ride bikes. <laughs> you know? They got to know what they're getting into when they, when they want to hang out with me, you're going to ride a bike, even if it's winter time. Yeah. So speaking of women, I don't want to bring up a sore subject, but Allie. Yeah. So that was a really fun series watching you guys pedaled across America and, and getting love advice. So talk, talk a little bit about that. What, what, what inspired that for you guys? Yeah, so love cycles uh, was a beautiful experience in every way. And it's a whole you know, series on my channel. So I, I met Allie in uh, the March of 2018. We fell madly in love. And I, I had already planned to ride across the country and Trek Bicycles was going to sponsor this trip on one of their new bikes. And then I met Allie and I was like, well, I don't want to leave Allie home for the next three months while I go on this amazing adventure. So I called my contact at Trek and I said, hey, can I bring my girlfriend on this trip? And they're like, of course you can. We'll send her out. We'll send her a bike. <laughs> and so they were on board right away. They were excited. We're like, we want to show more women on bikes. This is great. And uh, then Allie and I tried to come up with an idea of how to make this more unique. And mm. we came up with the idea of asking people for love advice. As a new couple, we were you know, hoping to be together forever. And we wanted to get advice from all walks of life in the United States. And that was the goal of the trip. And so we started in Oregon, went all the way to New York. And we interviewed people from Harley Bicycle motorcycle dudes with leather jackets and all gnarly looking dudes and to farmers to, you know, everybody, every walk of life. Mm. And it was a really, really beautiful experience. Unfortunately, we did not end up, you know, lasting forever, mm -hmm. but we're still friends. And I think actually it's an important story to tell because not all love stories have a happy ending. Mm. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's very real. Again, I want my, my real life to be, my YouTube life, you know, I don't, I don't want to just fake it for the audience. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think we see so much of that with a lot of celebrities that, you know, they have one life, their Instagram life and then their real life, you know, and it's yeah. two very different looks. Absolutely. And I made a video about why Allie and I broke up essentially. Yeah. I, I saw that. I remember watching that. It's like, it's wow, that, that's really raw. It was very raw. You know, I'm sitting there, you know, fighting through tears but I wanted the audience to know what happened because they were watching this fairy tale of an adventure all the way across the country. And then all of a sudden, Allie wasn't really in my videos much after that. And they kept asking, where's Allie? Where's Allie? We miss Allie. And I didn't want to just leave them hanging. It's mm -hmm. like watching a TV show and not giving them the final episode. And I was like, I need to tell the, I owe it to the audience to tell them what happened. And so, um, you know, I made that video and it was very simple, no editing involved. I just talked to the camera about what happened. And uh, I thought, you know, the people who watched Love Cycles would care about this. So there were maybe 20,000 viewers for each video. But that video has well over 200,000 mm. views. And so I think people of all walks of life, again, people who don't ride bikes thousands of miles could relate to that. Everybody's mm -hmm. been through heartbreak and hard times. And, um, yeah, that was, that was 2018 mm -hmm. and now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm single and happy and Allie and I are, are great friends still. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I look at that as experience as one of the highlights of my life and Allie will always be there with me, even though we're not romantically, you know, mm -hmm. connected anymore. It's all good.
Mm -hmm. So the camera nerd in me wants to ask about equipment. Yes, <laughs> what kind I, of stuff do you use for, for filming your, your stuff? And you got to tell me how you got to being able to ride a bike and fly your drone. That's the number one question. I get that. I get that all the time. How are you getting these aerial shots while you're riding your bike? So we'll start with the drone. So I all, if you watch closely at my videos, I only fly the drone on flat roads that are pretty smooth, right? If it was bumpy, it would be way too hard to control the controller. So I pedal slowly and I'm looking down at this controller, which is like a video game controller. Mm -hmm. And I can see what the drone is filming. And so I'll slowly make moves while we're pedaling. And I'll get an angle from behind, you know, from the front, from the side. And then when I edit it, it looks like there's a drone team out there helping me out. Mm -hmm. And people are always worried for my safety. But it's very rare that I fly the drone in a situation that puts me in danger. There's one place where you were, I think it was on the Great Divide, where you were in this canyon and you were flying your drone and it was like, wow, that, that's, that's pretty risky there because, you know, I, I have a drone, so I fly it, but I've never ridden my bike, and, but I'm going to practice because on our cross-country trip, I'm going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it just takes a lot of practice, yeah. you know, and it just, you know, I've, I've never crashed a drone in the moment of biking and droning. I've crashed mm -hmm. plenty of drones other, at other moments. But, uh, you know, I get the drone really high, so it's not going to hit any trees. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that point, nothing really bad can happen. If, it's, if, it, if there's nothing around the drone, it's not going to fall out of the sky. Right. Yeah. Yeah, those are, those are really fun shots because it really gives a perspective of where you are and the landscape that you're driving, you're, you're pedaling through. And you're, it's just really fun to see those. And, uh, and, and so yeah. more drone shots. I love, I love the drone. And, you know, the tricky thing with the drone, I would do more drone shots, but batteries don't last long, right. as you know. Yeah. And when I'm bikepacking, I can go two to three days without, you know, finding electricity. So mm -hmm. I have a few batteries in my bikepacking setup, so I really have to conserve them. Otherwise, you know, yeah, one yeah. day gets all the drone shots and the next three days get none. Yeah, and the next day you're in this amazing place and no yeah. drone. No <laughs> drone. Yep. Yeah. So what are some of the other cameras you use for? I use, uh, I've been using smaller and smaller setups because it's just nice to ride a bike without a ton of weight. Mm -hmm. I used to use like a Sony a 6,500, which is a mirrorless camera and like a 200 millimeter lens, which is a pretty hefty mm -hmm. size camera. And I don't really use that one anymore on bike trips. It's just too big and the batteries are big. So now I use the Sony um, RX100. It's a teeny point and shoot camera, but it's very high quality. So that's like my main beauty camera. And then I use action cameras, whether it's a, a Sony or a GoPro, put the cameras on my head or I'm holding the camera out in front or to the side. And so I really try to get lots of different angles. So it's not just one boring point of view shot. It's, it's all, all the different angles. Mm -hmm. Do you kind of, kind of plan your shoots like a day ahead or a week ahead? I mean, how do you do that? It's just that in the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's all in the moment. It's all in the moment. And because on the bike trips, I don't know what's coming up really. Right. You know, and I don't know what the weather is going to be. And if I, if I started looking at it as a job, like when I'm working at like an actual production job, yes, I plan it all out because you have to, and you get the best light in the morning and the evening. Yeah. But on a bike trip, I always tell people, that the adventure comes first. That's the mm -hmm. priority. I'm out there to have an adventure. The second priority is to document it. Mm -hmm. And I never want 
filming to take over the fun of the adventure. Mm -hmm. Because because then it becomes a job and becomes, yeah. yeah. And it already is, you know, taxing enough to film all day long when I'm riding also a hundred miles and, you know, trying to get all the different angles and so, you know, it, it, there's a lot going on in my mind at, at all times on a bike trip. Um, but yeah, no, I don't really plan. If I see something beautiful, I take out my cameras and film it and I keep moving. And some of those th- scenes that we see in your videos, you, you ride those areas twice because mm-hmm. you set your camera up, you ride past it, then you had to go back and get it, right? Yes. <laughs> so how much those does that are- slow down your progress then? It slows it down a little bit for sure. You know, I'll be in an area and I'll be, oh, I should really, I should set up the tripod for this shot. And, you know, I'll him and haw for a few seconds because it's, you know, you have to stop, you have to open your bags, you have to get the tripod out, blah, blah, blah. It's a lot of work. And then usually I'll be like, okay, let's do it. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll set the tripod up, hit the record button, run back to my bike, get on the bike and then ride past the camera and then go and pick everything up. And, by doing that, it makes it look again like I have a camera team with me. Yeah. And those shots, even though they are hard to get, really make the edit a lot more dynamic. You you probably watched on YouTube. There's lots of people that film with the GoPro on their helmet all day long, and that's okay. But it's it's kind of it gets boring. It's right. just one it's one angle. Right. If you watch any professional productions or TV shows, you know there there's 15 cameras. You know covering one angle of a shot. And so I try to do that as best I can as a one man band. Yeah. So you've been on a number of TV shows, including this one that I saw uh, where you were dropped off in the middle of the jungle someplace down in, was it Venezuela? Venezuela. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, that was an epic uh, series that I was watching. Yes. That was was crazy. That was epic in, in every sense of the word. You know, I've done a lot of, difficult things in my life, bike trips or hundred mile ultra marathons, nothing will ever be as hard as what we went through on that trip. And it's pretty much due to starvation. We didn't eat Mm. much food. So you You weren't, you weren't given anything to eat. You had to find whatever you could eat. We had to find our own food. We were out there for 30 days. Sometimes we're eating termites, which really Mm. aren't very tasty or filling you know, we tried fishing, got some little fish here and there. We ate grub worms, mm. you know, which are just maggots. <laughs> They're a very gross looking creature, but they actually tasted pretty good. I lost over 35 pounds on that wow. adventure. Did you have 35 pounds to lose? Not really. And the problem was I had just ridden my bike from Vancouver to Cabo San Lucas down the West Coast. Mm-hmm. So my body was used to burning thousands of calories a day. And then all of a sudden, a week later, I'm thrown into the jungles of Venezuela, and uh, my body was like, whoa, where's the food? We're used to eating donuts and burritos all day, and now we're eating termites? This is no good. So that was, it was very difficult, but it was also, you know, a beautiful experience. I always tell people that a lot of reality shows portray the worst of humanity, you know, backstabbing and lying and greed. This show was not that. We worked together as a team, and I think it was a really powerful show of uh, human nature. Because you weren't you weren't competing for a, a money prize at the end, right? Oh, yeah. It was just an experience, essentially. It was called Out of the Wild Venezuela, and the goal was to see how far humans could push themselves. And we had to work together as a team. There were nine of us, and we were out there in the rainstorms and the heat, 
in the, you know, the jungles and getting bit up by all sorts of, you know, annoying bugs and that. It was, yeah, thinking was about it. Was it frustrating to know that the crew is, you know, eating, you know, their, at the craft food table, you know, back, you know. Yeah, had, it was. You know, there were some days where we're like, God, it's no fair. But we knew <laughs> what we were getting into. We knew it was going to be hard. Mm. We chose to be there. And, um, but I mean, you think about missing lunch and how grumpy that can make most mm. humans. Imagine missing breakfast, lunch, and dinner for essentially 30 days. Mm. And, you know, it, it was hard. It was very hard. Yeah. Then if you had something to eat, it was crawling off your plate. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Get back here. <laughs> so out of all these things that you've done and the amazing adventures you've had, what are some of the big life lessons you've kind of learned along the way? Um, my, the biggest one is that most people are good. Everybody I encounter are, are kind hearted and generous. And it's one of the comments I get a lot from foreign viewers who watch my content is like, wow, your videos paint a much different picture than what we're seeing on the news in England or Australia or wherever they are. And they really appreciate that. And that's another reason why I, why I really like to highlight the people that I meet. And I've met such wonderful people all around the world. And um, I love that. Another life lesson is you, you are capable of a lot more than you ever think uh, possible, for sure. You know, we have a lot of these limiting beliefs in our, in our culture and our society. I can't do this because I'm not fit enough or I'm not skinny enough or I don't have the right gear. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. We come up with a lot of excuses for things and it's all fear-based. And I think, you know, once we step foot outside and we start an adventure or maybe it's just a, a hike or maybe you've never run three miles in your life and to you that is an ultra marathon. And I, I really like encouraging people to to try things that are hard and outside of your comfort zone because we, we can do things that are, you know, just on the other edge of that box of comfort. And um, it, it's fun. You learn a lot about yourself and, you know, life and other humans by, by pushing your limits. How much of those difficult moments and pushing through, how much of that is just your physical training or how much of that is mental? I would say mostly it's mental. And I think most, you know, sports psychologists would say that as well. You know, um, you know, I've run a few hundred mile races before I ever did that. <laughs> it sounded insane. Like that's crazy. You know, I, when I was in my early twenties, I did a marathon and I was like, I will never do this again. <laughs> this is crazy. 26 miles is crazy. And now I've run a hundred miles a few times. And uh, yeah, we have these limiting beliefs, but once you just put one foot in front of the other and keep moving forward, and if you have some support along the way, you can do some pretty incredible things. Mm. You know, I have a, have a good friend out in Colorado that would say the same thing. I don't know if you know Craig DiMartino. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, so he's a good friend and he's done some amazing things. He's been on the podcast and yeah, you know, nice. telling his yeah, story. Uh, and he's kind of a legend out there for you know, the thing, you know, all the things that he's accomplished and, you know, d you know, climbing these crazy walls without a leg, yeah. I mean, you know, yep. and this is, and for him to be able to push through some of these things and the pain that he's even now experiencing, you know, is, is pretty amazing. 
And, and so, those are the kind of stories that really inspire me. People who, yeah, are amputees or really have to overcome something that most humans could never even imagine. Yeah. And I love those kind of documentaries. They're my favorite because they just hit me in all the feels and they, they make me want to be a better human. Yeah. So, so big question, kind of, kind of wrap-up question. When the movie about <laughs> Ryan Van Duzer is made, what will the log line be? What will the log line be? It will be, ole, 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 ole. <laughs> of course. What else would it be? <laughs> yeah. Um, what would it be? I, you know, it's, it would probably be like one of these somewhat cheesy titles that you see these, these movies from the 80s or something. Um, but uh, I don't know. Maybe you're going to have to help me with this one. It's the actual <laughs> title of a, of a film. Oh. <laughs> um, it's fun out there. Maybe something like that. Something get out there. Something like along what my whole philosophy is, is, is getting outside. Because yeah. getting out there isn't just being outside. It's also pushing mm. your mentality out there. Like just going to a place where you've never been before. And that's, it's not just to the top of a mountain. It's mm -hmm. taking your mind or your heart and, you know, making friends with somebody who you would never think you'd make friends with. You know, it's getting out there. Hmm. You know, I think these days with uh, COVID lockdowns and all that, that's even more important. Yeah. You know, to get out and to experience the world outside of these four walls that we've put ourselves yep. in. Absolutely. And, you know, there's, there's a whole world out there that's waiting for us to explore, right? Yep. What's the one thing that you look back and say, I wish I would have done X when I was on this trip or on this adventure? You know, I don't really have those moments. I don't really have regrets of, you know, I wish I had done this or that. Um, you know, whatever happens is, is kind of what happens and I accept that. And there have, have never been any big moments where I really think, you know, I didn't do something that I really wanted to do. I mean, I've, I've kind of done it. <laughs> I'm very fortunate in that way that I've, when I dream up something, I find a way to make it happen. And I'm incredibly privileged in, in that way that I've, I've been able to accomplish a lot of my big dreams. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Well, Ryan, it's been a really a lot of fun uh, talking to you on the My Story podcast and hearing your story and about your adventures. And so what's the next big thing for you? I actually don't know. <laughs> <laughs> It's a kind of a boring answer. Usually I have lots of adventures piled up, but because of COVID and lack of being able to travel, I don't know um, what will be next, but stay tuned. Yeah, well, I want to, you know, extend an invitation to come and ride through Maryland and some of the, the, the roads that I drive out here, I ride out here. I welcome you to come and my wife and I have an Airbnb. You're welcome to stay here. Right on. I, I'll visit someday. You better make some burritos, though. I will have burritos. Actually, my wife makes some really, really good burritos and that kind of food. So, <laughs> Sounds yeah, good. It'll, it'll be a deal. Awesome. So, uh, well, thank you so much for, for being here on the My Story podcast. Looking forward to seeing what the next adventure is for you. And we'll be sure to tune in. Speaking of tuning in, where can people find you? My YouTube channel is the best place. It's uh, youtube.com slash doozer TV. If you just Google my name, they'll pop up Ryan Van Duzer. 
And I'll put the links in the show notes below so people can link directly when they're listening to this podcast. Thank you, Ryan, for your time and for your adventures. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan, for taking time to talk to me today on the My Story podcast. It was a lot of fun, and I look forward to someday riding my bike with you on some trail or some highway or some road across this country or around the world. That would even be better, someplace around the world. So keep on riding, keep on making those amazing videos, and we'll keep watching. Thanks so much. Next week on the My Story podcast, we'll hear from Karen Springs. Karen grew up in the Pacific Northwest and then lived and served in Ukraine for more than 14 years, where she worked with hundreds of adoptive families and advocated for orphaned and at-risk children. Karen recently released a book called Adoption Through the Rearview Mirror, and she's going to be here on the My Story podcast to talk about that and about living life in Ukraine. So please be sure to join us next time on the My Story podcast. You have been listening to the My Story podcast. My name is Conrad Weaver. I've been your host for the show, and I'm so happy that you decided to stop by and listen to our show today. If you'd like to see the interviews that I record here on the My Story podcast, be sure to join us on Patreon and become a member of the show where you can have access to all the videos for this show and others along the way. The music for today's show is provided by my friend Drew Davidson. You can get all of his music on iTunes or Spotify or at drewdavidson.com. Thanks for listening to today's show. Come back next time for a brand new episode right here on the My Story Podcast. <laughs>